0: I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. I can tell you, you are going to walk away from today's episode inspired, challenged. I had an incredible conversation with my friend Brandon Peel. He is the founder of Unity Lab. And let me just tell you a little bit about Brandon. He's a fellow Midwesterner, he is a best selling author, he is an impact entrepreneur, and he is an expert in social learning and culture change. And prior to founding Unity Lab, which you'll learn about in the conversation and just launched in October of 2020, he worked at two leading social learning companies, both Ion and Imperative. And he really worked on activating empathy, trust, belonging, purpose, and leadership at a broad scale. He has consulted with many, many organizations like Google and Johnson & Johnson and Morgan Stanley and Stanford University and the Marine Corps, Berkeley, the Navy, list goes on and on, and he has written and co-written four books on purpose and leadership, and his work has been featured by news organizations such as USA Today, U.S. News, World Report, and Forbes. Brandon is such an incredible person, and I feel like, what the heck didn't we talk about in this conversation? We talk about purpose. We talk about this incredible need that he saw, this cultural divide on so many levels, and the work that he's doing trying to be part of the movement to heal some of our hurting. We talked about whether or not people can use the doctor title. We talk about racial inequities. We talk about Black Lives Matter. We talk about courage. We talk about so many different things. And I just walked away inspired by the passion that Brandon has for the work he's doing and the difference he's trying to make in the world and the realness that he brings to this conversation of where he sells himself short, gets stuck. And it's just an inspiring, uplifting conversation, and he gives some really incredible tips of things that we can do to apply what he's doing at Unity Lab in our own lives to start to build community and build relationships with people who are different than us it's hard to hate people close up and seeking out those differences is such a critical part of us moving forward and having a better future. So strap on your seatbelts, sit back and enjoy this conversation. All right. Well, Brandon, it is so awesome to spend time with you. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: It's awesome to be here with you, Rosie.
0: So you have been up to a lot of really, really cool stuff since the last time we connected. And we're going to talk about Unity Lab in a minute, but I think that there is background or precursor information that needs to be told that leads up to what you're doing now. And so I know when we talked in prep for this podcast, you were talking about the, the culture crisis and kind of where your soul is now. And can you just talk a little bit about what you're seeing out in the world and how that drove you to... Doing the work you're doing with Unity Lab,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Well, I've had the good fortune of working with great companies like Imperative and Ion, and we developed over time, kind of, a, I would call like a best practice for a scalable culture change. Right, uh, putting people in small diverse groups, having them learn something together, and the beautiful thing that happens is they learn more, they complete the program, but they also develop empathy and trust across perceived difference like so this is race this is uh, political preference this is um, political ideology uh, it's gender, it's uh, boomer versus millennial and it basically allows people to come together in a brand new way. And so while I had a lot of fun doing this for big companies I'm like we have a four a five alarm fire in our country right now. <laughs> it's like not just right left but you know all these other divisions well, we need to point this really effective tool right at our, our deepest wounds to try to heal us. Um, now, that's like the the headpiece. Now, yeah. for me personally, like, you know, when we first met, I was all about purpose. I've been all about purpose for the last eight years. And this year with the political dysfunction, obviously the pandemic, uh, the um, unjust police murders of, Um, African-American and BIPOC folks. Um, So it just started to shift. I was like, I I live in this country that's got these beautiful purpose statements, you know, e pluribus unum, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when you look at the numbers behind that, it's like, we really aren't doing anything to (laughs) fulfill on that. I mean, life is really good for a few White guys near cities, basically, <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody else is like either degrees or you know an order of magnitude uh, of suffering away from the average white guy near a city. Um, so yeah, obviously, poor Americans, rural Americans are you know paycheck to paycheck. I think it's seventy seventy eight percent of us were paycheck to paycheck prior to the pandemic, right? No, uh, Well, players. and I, it hasn't.
0: The pandemic has only illuminated that much more the disparities right between wealth health and you just seeing how how much we're not it's not equal at all and and that's hurting us in the divide i love what you're i mean i don't love what you're saying but the divide in so many levels is getting bigger and bigger and bigger
1: yeah yeah absolutely um no there's there's lots of reasons for hope, right it seems like we just in the last couple of days, we've seen some bipartisanship uh, around the recent stimulus. Um, and by all, uh, you know, basically at the federal level, there's a lot of things, happen. like a lot of things that are like kind of percolating. And I just learned about this uh, called the Problem Solvers Caucus. You heard of it?
0: No, I haven't. It's
1: like, it's like 25 Republicans, 25 Democrats who like each other, trust each other, learn together, debate respectfully and propose bipartisan solutions. Like,
0: what a concept! Oh my God!
1: Is, is supposed to be doing. Oh my God! Why do they need a little mini Congress inside Congress to do this? But but anyways, like so things like that. You know, of course, the broader weaving community. Uh, there's 300 plus organizations who are trying to stitch the country back together, the social, the moral fabric. And we have uh, a president elect who says he wants to unify the nation. So there's lots of reasons to be hopeful. Now, as you and I both know, even the best policy, when I mean, we saw the ill-fated Warren campaign that I was heavily invested in. Like, her plans are amazing, right? Culture wasn't ready for it. Um, and same thing with the Civil Rights Act. Amazing leg- legislation, like serious moral leadership on, on you know, hundreds, not thousands of people to bring that thing to fruition. But all that did was just push the rhetoric and the dialogue underwater, the the racism, the unconscious bias, all that stuff, all the all the cultural wounds unhealed from you know slavery and native genocide and all that all that stuff is still there. And obviously the white supremacy culture. So like we, we had, we're we're starting to get that it's not just policy. We have to, we have to treat culture strategically. Because if we don't, we're just gonna have more of the same hey great ideas by this bipartisan caucus. Awesome. Doesn't go anywhere. Or it gets passed, and people don't believe it because it's fake news, or it's uh, a leftist plot, or a rightist plot, <laughs> and so we, we we've got this culture crisis, and that's that's what Unity Lab is up to, and the other uh, partner organizations within Weave.
0: Yeah. So one of the things you said that I was struck by is you talked about that the work you did that kind of led to Unity Lab. Because I want you to talk a little bit more specifically about what Unity Lab is doing, and in, in, in on a more detailed level, we talked about really bringing people together, whether it's different political ideologies or gender preferences or religious views or, you know, uh, generational, whatever it might be. And one of the things that we talk about in the work we do, and it's actually our fifth rehumanizing principle, find your tribe is not about, tribalism the way we think about it today it's going back historically to the word origin of tribe about people who have your back and we talk about intentionally seeking out others who are different from you with the spirit of understanding right and growing and building community which is really what what you're talking about. And it sounds like you've done successfully within organizations and now want to bring this on a broader scale, right. To help kind of heal the wounds that are going on in our country that you talked about. So can you Mm -hmm. talk more specifically then about what exactly is it that unity lab is doing to help with some of this divisiveness and and trying to bring some healing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Happy to, uh, before I do that, I think it would be probably good to outline a broader theory of change, because left yes. just does one thing, right? It's not all things, all people. It's, it solves this part of the problem, but there, there's a bigger kind of game at play. So, uh, we do require, for lack of a better word, spiritual leadership in this moment. Um, there, there is this unspoken American civil religion, as uh, Robert Putnam talks about, and that the our leaders, our political, our elected leaders, are the high priests. And their job is to evoke our better angels and to uh, turn Pluribus into Unum. So like that's one piece of it. And that seems like it's well on the way to basically happening. Uh, then there's the overall uh, kind of fear agitation uh, profile of like just the home economics of life. And so that's where the stimulus comes in an like, the infrastructure bill, the Green New Deal. Like some of the things that are gonna bring great, paying steady, fulfilling jobs to rural populations and, and uh, historically marginalized populations. So like, that's, that's a big piece of it too. Now, where the Unity Lab method uh, can play is in, in kind of two really interesting areas. One, as an, as an ethos, so small diverse learning as an ethos within the broader educational uh, framework. Because right now we're still basically teaching the same way we taught. 300 years ago, training armies, right? It's like, I learned how to shoot a gun from that guy and I'm going to teach you how to shoot a gun and this is how you shoot a gun and whether or not you ever need to shoot a gun, that's what we're doing today.
0: <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> yeah. It, and so and we do we do
0: what we've always done without yeah. really thinking about, does it make sense anymore? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this is not to indict teachers. I love teachers, uh, teachers in my family. I've taught uh, and I'll be the first to admit, it, it does, it's not super effective, like- this one to many thing we need to f- nurture interactivity and uh, specifically within and across like boundaries. And so what the unity lab method does is it's basically you take four people who are diverse and you put them together for an hour for five sessions. That could be once a week for five weeks or every other week for 10 weeks. And the results of that method. And so they're, they're learning and they're talking about their perspectives, sharing their stories, learning uh, communication skills. But the results of, of just setting up any learning, we could be talking about selling door to door, we could be talking about how to make a great soup, whatever. Or, you know, in our domain, like leadership, culture, competencies. But, um, but the results of that method are that 95% of folks complete, which is unheard of in uh, e learning, for example. And I compare it to e-learning because it is, there's no facilitator. These are all peer facilitated. So there's no bottlenecks here. You don't need to hire a smart person like you or me to like sit and and hover over everybody, make sure they're getting the, the material. They literally teach each other. Um, and so, so people complete it. They, they learn more through this methods. Uh, so we, we ask them how much more did you learn because of the discussion They say 63% more than they would have just from the content alone. So there's a, uh, because you know, it's woven into story and that's how we think and relate. and uh, and then the the part that fulfills on the purpose my purpose and the purpose of the United States is that ninety eight percent of participants experience respect from their diverse peers, which is, I mean if we just had that, if ninety eight percent of Americans respected each other, you know, like I value you as a human being, you're not evil and wrong because you didn't vote. Differently, or you drive a plug-in, and I drive a Hummer, or whatever. Like, um, and then 96% of participants experience empathy from their diverse peers. So, this is where it begins. And of course, these things take time. That's why you know it's spread out over five sessions. And of course, I, I I want to see people doing it more than just like one five session thing. But, but that's basically the idea: uh, aggregate or, or bring people together around a, a, a cause and that could be like our neighborhood, our city. So we're doing like a San Diego uh, launch in January. Uh, But any organization, any uh, neighborhood community can say, we are going to come together this year. Like we are, we're going to make community a strategic priority and here's how we're going to do it. And then people learn together and they learn to like each other and the tribe forms.
0: Well, I love that. I I was being interviewed on a radio show recently and we were having this conversation about It's hard to hate people close up, so (laughs) right? So when you get to know people as a human being versus your, like you said, your preconceived ideas about them, your stereotypes, your judgments are conscious and unconscious biases. And now you're actually in a dialogue with a person and you start to see what makes them tick the natural response typically is empathy when we let go of our judgment and move to curiosity. And so what I love is that, you know, you're intentionally curating groups of people to say, okay, you want to learn about a topic and you want to have your thinking challenge. So let's put you with some, uh, you know, people who are not like you and and create these groups. How hard is it to, because obviously you're intentionally putting these groups together. And if they're not facilitated, I'm assuming you have to have some, ground rules or something. Cause they've got to learn how to listen to one another. I'm like, I'm curious about how you set these groups up so they're successful if they're not facilitated.
1: Yeah. So there's a, a, a couple ways that we, we set this up. So uh, first is there, there, there's still no discounting the value of a live event, even if there's a facilitator and all that. So we create a, a gathering where everybody comes together at once and they get to experience the method using zoom, uh, Kind of breakout rooms. Um, but in that, you know, we, we, we kind of set the expectations like this is what we're up to this year as an organization, as a community, as a neighborhood, as a, as a parish, whatever it is. And what we're going to do is activate our values in a new way and create deeper bonds where your membership, your, uh, your relationships here are going to be way more fulfilling than they were last year, which is <laughs> easy to do but well then two years ago <laughs> but yeah um and and, and so so we kind of enroll them basically and and then then from there their very first session so the way that i i envision is like people first need to have an a, agreement about how to communicate with each other so the first set of you know five modules is all about conscious communication so it's in the first module they're learning about what are group agreements and then they generate them as a, as a small group of four so there's like, you know the suggested ones and then there's some other ones and and they basically form their own little bonds here already like in the first 5 minutes forming bonds across difference like yeah well, we all agree on this is how we want to show up
0: that's and so important because we talk about that in all the work we do it's just a different language but container building right if we yeah. don't if we don't container have build. agreed upon right off the bat that we've co-created someone didn't hand it down for us and we can we can give them questions to consider to create that but if we don't do that and then don't have guideposts that we can bring ourselves back to or hold ourselves and each other accountable there's no opportunity for psychological safety and if there's not psychological safety we can't have the dialogues we need to have
1: exactly yeah yeah um and and so so that's really what we're doing is like building that container and, and from the the post assessments i've been receiving it's like right around the third conversation that's where that group just goes click like all right, I can't wait to see this person again. They're nothing like me. They don't, whatever, but I just love seeing their face because they shared that thing about their brother or they shared that thing about the struggling with this health issue or whatever. Um, so but basically, you know, proving your point that the contact hypothesis, um, was used in the seventies as uh, the the jigsaw method getting people to just to spend time together to accomplish something together. In this case, it's learning. Um, But yeah, and so like each of the five modules. The first one is it's all about conscious communication. So apologies, active listening, I statements, gratitude, all that, all the basics. And then we get to the real juicy stuff. Like, what does it mean to be black in America? Like, what does it mean to have a a physical disability? Like, so we get to explore some of the just the different experiences. And what does it mean to be uh, a closeted Republican? What does it mean, you know? So we. Like these types of things start to uh, uh, be explored and embraced, and and um, kind of like, kind of form the bonds of vulnerability and intimacy that we need to function in a diverse society. This is Sweden; we wouldn't need to do this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love that, and I love that you're you're seeing results. And so, um, what I also love is that you know talk about showing up as a leader is you know you've done all this great work. You start to kind of have this awakening of what you're experiencing going on in the world in 2020, and seeing this culture crisis, and then looking at how can I, how can I be part of the solution, right? you said it's a piece; it's not the only one, but how can you add your voice to it? How can you um, do this? So if you talk about you talk about your Unity Lab work as kind of one piece. You also mentioned other organizations. Like, is there an interconnectedness or how you're collaborating with other organizations to, on on a scale of togetherness? trying to help with what, what we're experiencing in terms of divisiveness in this country.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's, so there's the weaving community. So I think it's like, I think it might be weaving.us and then forward slash partners, but you can, I think it's it's just weaving.us. And that's over 300 local organizations for the most part who are doing, we're biting off some part of this problem. So it could be, uh, racial reconciliation, reparations, unconscious bias training. It could be bringing uh, Republicans and Democrats together to have a different conversation. Um, And so so this community was built uh, by Pierce Godwin and a couple other folks at the Listen First Project and in conjunction with David Brooks's Weave the Social Fabric Project. So they built this coalition and there's a monthly call and we use the hashtag weaving community on all of our posts and all that kind of stuff. So there's the, the beginnings of like a, a web of collaborators. Um, now what the future holds for this group. I don't know. I'm, I wasn't the founder. I'm just, I'm just a participant like everybody else. <laughs> so my, my hope is that this becomes like a very cohesive movement where There's our well-articulated theory of change where we're like advocating, this is what needs to happen in schools, churches, your family, your neighborhood block, blah, 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 blah. You know, where we're basically saying like, here's what works. You know, we've got 300 practitioners on the ground making it happen. If you want to have a community you love or if you want to experience less racial hostility or political animosity, here's here's a guidebook. Um, And hopefully that becomes national policy at some point. But
0: yeah, so I... With For the people who are listening, like as they're listening to this, if you're, they're getting inspired or how can I do that? And maybe it's getting involved in one of your, your groups or whatnot, but what are you seeing some cool things that people are doing um, either, you know, as a result of your Unity Lab groups or some of these others with, with the weaving community that, you know, might inspire others? I mean, how what are some things that you're seeing in terms of how people are showing up as leaders and influencing change that might, might give others ideas?
1: Yeah, uh, well, so we, it's a little too early for me to speak specifically to Unity Lab because we just launched in October and it's, you know, Christmas, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, what, one one thing I'm experiencing or I've seen from the surveys is that people want to keep meeting. So these groups, even though the program's are over, they're like, I love you guys. Like, let's do this once a quarter. and Let's do this once a month. Um, so that's a good thing, right? People across difference wanting to see each other again. Um, what I would love to see is literally for Unity Lab to go out of existence. I mean, you know, like any nonprofit, we're not, I don't even know what our business model is yet, but, (laughs) but, but the idea is that we shouldn't have to exist. Like all we're trying to do is restore some harmony to the cosmos and that this method, yeah, it's, it's something I like to do, but you know, it's not proprietary, uh, you, can't, you can't patent an idea. Like, and I want everybody to be doing this. Every organization, every every church, every university, K twelve. So, um, to the extent that folks want to create greater uh, cohesion, empathy, collaboration, and these are all like the the I would call it the the threads, the sinews that are critical to any successful organization. Um, so, you know, you don't just hire smart people and, and get great results. You have to like also bring them together. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's basically stealing it, like taking this method and and replicating it and, and putting it everywhere you want and don't even feel like you need to add, uh, uh, attribute it. Just, just do it, bring diverse people together to achieve something.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I love it. Like, Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's seeking out people, like people who are different than you. You said bringing diverse people together, creating some ground rules that you right create together that you can hold yourselves to, uh, you know, maybe having some learning of how to listen or, or maybe that's part of the ground rules, or maybe there is a little bit of education of, Hey, here's what we're going to try. Yeah. And, and I love that. I know that when we talk about whether it's organizational groups within a community or whether it's teams within a workplace or cross-functional teams, when we're trying to solve problems, a lot of times we get stuck on that interpersonal stuff and it becomes a, my idea versus your idea. But when we take it off of me versus you, and we look at a problem, right? Our lens is now both collectively sitting like side by side, looking at a problem. It's very different right? Because now it becomes that, that adversarialness divisiveness goes away a little bit because we're both looking, we're not looking at each other, like head to head, butting heads. We're looking together shoulder to shoulder at something else and and then bringing our perspectives to it. So I love, I love that you're um, doing that. What are your thoughts of uh, what, what is getting in the way of us being able to do this at scale? What is getting in our way of us being able to have um, uh a country with more harmony or, or people living in more harmony?
1: Um, well, there's a couple of quick fixes. Um, you know, so I, I start to flush out a theory of change. Now, one of the things we, we haven't yet mentioned is our federal communications policy. So we used to say that you, you had a legal obligation to be truthful and to present a balanced um, you know, program if you're going to explore something that has to do with but the common good because the airwaves are owned by the people and they need to be stewarded in the best interest of the people. So that needs to happen. <laughs> we need to like reinstitute the, what, what was it called? Fairness, something or other. Uh, I think Reagan decided not to re-up it again in 87. And that's basically what spawned the, the hyper-partisan cable news networks, you know, mm. CMS, MSNBC, Fox, et cetera, uh, so now these entities don't have to be responsible for what they say uh and that we need to change that because obviously we're seeing people believing a whole bunch of nonsense and i've been guilty of it too i've i you know five ten years ago i believed my fair share of conspiracy theories (laughs) um so 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 that's a piece of it and then also social media because now it can travel fast and it comes with the the social weight of the person who shared it uh, and if that unless that person is a trained scientist or a journalist odds are they did not think about this in the proper way and share just whatever for whatever reason who knows so there there's there's some kind of pretty critical levers that you know even by executive order can be uh corrected uh in q1 um the couple other things that are in the way uh and i mentioned the kind of economic suffering so when people don't have enough to eat their morality kind of goes out the window basically and and you know all americans have some sense unless they're you know sociopaths or something have some sense of like i'm a good person good people act this way you know i turn the other cheek i extend help when i can i you know they've got some kind of moral code but when you get got 78% of Americans at subsistence wages, it suddenly becomes a little bit easier to like throw that out and to take for what's mine. People are already doing that. I mean, the people are shoplifting food at historic levels right now because they're hungry. So there's, there's that piece. We need to like get up to a living wage for everybody. And hopefully that's through jobs and not through handouts necessarily. But, um, and then at the kind of institutional organizational level, this is something I'm sure you're very familiar with. l people like to do things the way that L&D people like to do things. And they don't want to do things that differently. <laughs> you know, same thing with OD and all that. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's kind of like a precious group. So I'm, I, I love all of you, but I'm going to like kind of throw you under the bus here for a second. Go for it. <laughs> because you know you're like the lone humanist in your organization or you think you are doesn't mean that like you need to be standing in front of the classroom or determining what these you know dim-witted whatever people in your organization experience to learn yes you have a role in uh, crafting the strategy and asking the right questions and bringing in the best solutions and all that but historically a lot of folks have 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 operated like school superintendents Mm. I'm I'm the smart one. You're the dumb one. Here's the information. Pass the test. Okay, now you can go back to your job. You know, in this very paternalistic way. And so, this old way of learning and development needs to kind of go. We need to just basically empower people to train each other. You know, yeah. Um, well, it
0: is, it's the most effective. And I know one of the conversations that we have regularly with leaders is, you know, the the our ongoing development as human beings and in the workplace very small percentage should actually be coming from formal training and development programs. The overwhelming majority, like 70% is on the job. And that's from mentoring. That's from learning by doing, right? We, we learn by doing, we learn by experiences. This is where people who have a formal people leadership roles need to find those engageable coachable moments on a daily basis, right? So it's engaging people with the work, helping them see that it matters, helping create those developmental moments, not, oh yeah, once a year once a quarter or once a month or whatever, we're gonna send you to this class. Like that's 10% of it. 70% of it should be real on the job stuff. And I do think that we lose sight of that. And I will say what we see a lot is people will suddenly go, oh, here, like, you know, send you to Rosie, send you to Salveo partners. And if we we can only do so much, but the conversations we have are what's the structure you are building for this to be embedded in your day to day and to have life of its own beyond whatever content or skills or whatever we might do or coaching we might do, because otherwise there is no point. Right. Right. Because if you don't, you can't take a person who learns some skills or even goes through transformative coaching, you can't take a changed person and put them back into an unchanged environment and expect that anything is going to be helpful. All it's going to do is frustrate the hell out of that person and they're going to leave. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's true. And so I, I so appreciate that. And I, and I, I'm, I think that there are definitely some old school OD or L and D people that are kind of that gatekeeper. And I also do think that there is a, there is kind of a movement happening in, in in that space. I feel like I'm an honorary person cuz I didn't grow up in that field. I kind of morphed into it and I feel like I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't matter, but I think that organizations that do approach it of like or here's a classroom or what I love is here we've got this online portal of classes and not that that stuff's not helpful, but if that's your idea of our development is here go take a class, like a pre-recorded Like, no, you're not interacting with human beings. You're not being challenged to think differently. You're not being, you know, challenged to uh, communicate differently. You're just taking in knowledge. Knowledge is not the same as development.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And and you bring up a really good point there because, um, you know, a lot of people think they're learning organizations because they have, you know, an LMS or they give people incentives or they make it part of their performance review. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about what we're talking about is development, like where this is a human centric organization. We all have a purpose and we're imperfect human beings trying to fulfill on it. And we stand for each other's purpose and, and try to empower folks and point out where they're off purpose, but from love and with grace and all that kind of stuff. Like these developmental organizations are, you know, Keegan Leahy called deliberately developmental, the DDOs. That's really what we want. We all want to be fulfilled. We all want to have diverse uh, cultures of belonging. We, we we want this. We want to be nurtured and cradled. Uh, not that we're incapable of taking care of ourselves, but you know, I think it was this Christian guy from the early 1900s said, we cannot become ourselves by ourselves. And yeah. we need each other. This is like a, a call for tribe, basically. And I think it's been heightened over the last year. Cause now even like the week ties, the water cooler stuff, the, you know, mindless babble about the weekend and, and like, I, I kind of miss that. I would, I would take some mindless babble about, you know, your kids, you know, pooping in the living room. Or whatever.
0: <laughs> well, you're right. Because as Brene Brown always says, you, we are neurobiologically hardwired for connection and it is a core human need to feel like we matter and to be heard and seen. And it takes a different level of intentionality to create that when people are in a virtual environment, that people aren't going back into a workplace. There are so obviously many industries where people are are physically going in, but now half your face is covered by a mask and you can't read body language. And so it just, it takes a whole other level to, to foster and have that connection. But the other thing you said, that's really important is that, you know, we can only get so far on our own going back to where we're meant to be in connection. and the The good and bad news about being in community and and finding people who are different than you and creating those tribes in the broadest sense, right? Not tribalism per se, is that those people who are different than us or those people who are connected enough with us, they hold up mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 they hold up mirrors and we and they illuminate our blind spots, and that can be really unsettling. Yet it is such a gift, and I think that. I don't know about you, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Brandon, but I think about, you know, 2020 has been kind of one crisis after another. And I think that when life is as challenging as it has been this year, it really starts to reveal the true character of individuals and organizations and what we're made of. And you've seen so many incredible people and organizations take this and become so much better versions of themselves and grow mm-hmm. and, and not get stuck up, Ooh, wow. Like I really wasn't good at this, or I had all these biases I didn't know about or what like, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow. I'm going to get uncomfortable. It's going to be messy, but man, I'm going to do this work. And then you've seen almost the opposite end of the spectrum of people doubling down and, and, you know, becoming rigid and, and again, more divisiveness and stuff. And so I think that when we let ourselves be open to true development, not just learning. Right. And, and we really, that requires us to be vulnerable. It requires us to let someone hold up that mirror. And it requires us to be open to those blind spots being revealed to us or reminded to us. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've had numerous of them over 2020. I'm like, Oh crap, here we go again. <laughs> right. Um, but it, it, it makes such a huge difference. So I know that you, you had this big shift and obviously you launched unity lab in October, what I would love to hear from you is what, what are some of the big learnings you've been having um, about yourself and really just about, you've spent years in purpose and leadership. Just what are some of the big ah ahas and learnings you've had that this year has brought for you?
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, Before I hit that, I just want to, if I don't this doesn't bounce around my head if it'll just annoy me if it but what you were saying about like the, the blind spots and having a, a community a tribe a, a office culture that supports you in looking at those yep. um it, that sounds like a weird thing right for, especially for those of us who've never experienced or are unfamiliar familiar with that term or have never seen the 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 joy and the breakthrough and the expansion that occurs once you bring a bring some light on that blind spot, but that that itself, right there, from a developmental perspective, is what is needed before we can really engage. And what I mean is, like, the dominant class, you know, white middle class people, can, before we can really get to the heart of Black Lives Matter or Indigenous genocide. Because these personal blind spots need to be exposed and, and seen as a source of gold and growth, then we can say, "All right, well, what are we what are we not seeing at the collective level?" Because you know, activists are going to keep raising their hand. Be like, "Hey, what about us? What about you know, what about water rights? What about indigenous lands? What about uh, police brutality?" They're going to. This isn't going away. It's not like twenty twenty one is we're just going to change the channel and it'll go back to like Beaver Cleaver land. Like it's not going to happen. So. <laughs> i just wanted to presence that and like thank you for the work that you're doing and helping people see the value in their own development because it's going to allow us collectively to see wow we really screwed the pooch on <laughs> big things like slavery and killing people a lot of them like well and
0: you US know what's funny is even just a small microcosm and this is like i mean honestly this is nothing compared to the indigenous genocide and You know, Black Lives Matter and systemic racism—like it is nothing. And I want to preface that, but I'm laughing about how social media blew up recently because of the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal of whoever it was telling Dr. Jill Biden that to not call herself doctor. And then I've been seeing all of these debates over LinkedIn and whatnot about well, then she's getting confused with the medical doctor, and people going like round and round. And I even was like, okay, like I like I don't make people call me Dr. Rosie, but. Like I've earned it, and if someone told me I couldn't, oh man, like I am gonna lose my freaking mind. And so one of my dear friends, Debbie, sent me this image, and I sent it to my mom because she's a sidey. And it said, you know, it was like tell, it was like holding a doll, and it says, "Tell me where the scary woman, you know, threatened your manhood by <laughs> using doctor or something." But it created this whole freaking debate of who's worthy of a title that they earned because is it. Is it an MD versus a PhD versus a PsyD versus a DO versus a, you know, like, are we going to start to get into the nuances of all the different type of doctors that are out there? Anyway, so I just, I, it's just funny that you get into just little things of blind spots and then people get all crazy and attack one another versus I didn't realize that was a thing, or I didn't know that EDD was also a doctor. I only knew there was MD and PhD or whatever. And so anyway, I just, it's just funny because I think that there are so many goofy like, oh, and it's just, that has blown up recently. It's been one that I've been a part of because, okay, well, I am a woman and I happen to have that title. And I'm like, yeah, I can tell you there's numerous times that men, medical doctors, I work with a lot of them. Many of them are wonderful, but that have been like, oh, they're absolutely not going to call me doctor. Cause they'll go, well, you're not a real doctor. And I'm like, really, really, like, no. really, we're going to go there. We're going to go there. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Tangent.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I am not a doctor, but <laughs>
0: You just play one on TV.
1: <laughs> I, have many, I have many friends like yourself who have gone through that process. And that, you know, speaking of growth, that is a unrelenting initiation that <clears throat> borders on psychosis to even decide to do much less complete. it. <laughs> so <clears throat> I have all the respect in the world for PhDs, EDs, and all the other things. I mean, like, like there's no joke. It's no joke. <laughs>
0: yeah. It wasn't fun. <laughs> anyway,
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so there were a couple things this year um, that shifted for me internally. Um, so you know, be, because I love purpose and got to you know connect with it every morning, I, it's pretty easy for me to like generate an empowering context around what's happening. Right? I'm just like, okay, how do I live my purpose here? Where, where, where can I apply my values? You know, I don't. and I realized that I actually, you know, I was kind of doing myself a disservice. Like I sit in a men's circle and I get to experience my emotions and the shadows and all that kind of stuff there. But for the most part, I'm like this like warrior that just like one foot in front of the other, just go do the thing. And this year just, you know, broke me open. I mean, uh, it was okay, like, the first month, but, like, for the second month, I was, like, I am so lonely. All I want to do is, like, grab a stranger and kiss him. Like, it's just, <laughs> just, like, it's a total, like, needy child. Like, I love you. Ah! <laughs> you know, um, and I, I think I, I gave myself permission to, to actually feel terrible this year. Uh, like, okay, I am, I'm keeping my commitments. I'm going to lay down on the couch. I'm just, I, this feels, this feels like what needs to happen. There's, there's some kind of spiritual, psychological molting that I'm participating in, in this pandemic. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm just going to go experience that. I'm not going to turn that away. Um, so that was kind of new for me. And, yeah, you know, I, I think I shared this with you around George Floyd's murder, like, I mean, I had marched before and signed petitions and voted for, you know, politicians who are aligned with uh, Black liberation, but it was still kind of arm's distance. It was, you know, more like sympathy, like, oh, you know, we got to do everything we can for them. But yeah, those eight minutes, 46 seconds, it was like a kind of like just shock, like like, I remember the, in the days after my brother died, it was like that, it was like, did that really happen? Like, he's not here anymore. Like it was, it was and then it was, you know, basically, okay, well, this is my fight. Like, yeah, I'll be damned if my daughter or my children, children asked me like, well, what did you do when uh, George Floyd was murdered? And I said, yeah. well, I went back to work selling L and D solutions to organizations you know nothing with this nothing nothing wrong with that but I'm like that changed for me I'm like no actually I was like holy shit yeah it's like this is this is my fight now this is my fight and
0: um you know it's so interesting to say it. and and for the benefit of the the listeners we're both white right middle class people and I and I I don't know about you and I think I've probably said this to other guests but yeah I mean I you know it it started this whole different conversation. And I would say an awakening in me as well in that, you know, I have friends, I have family members who are black, who are mixed, who are like, right. And, and really looking at this whole idea of not considering yourself a racist is very different than being an anti-racist, which is something that wasn't even on my purview until George Floyd was murdered and Breonna Taylor and everything since. And because it happened in Minneapolis and then the riots and everything in our backyard, it was like, holy moly. And I started like it was so unsettling, in in a different way than any of the others. So probably because it was in our backyard, or I I don't I don't know. Maybe it was just because on top of COVID and everything else. And I remember a couple days after it happened. Right. And then you talk about links going around on social media, but I found an NPR and usually national public radio is a pretty valid source. And it was this historical video, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes long. And it was about redlining. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I, and I asked my husband, who's also white, you know, middle-class. And I was like, did you learn any of this crap growing up? Like we both grew up in suburban, you know, Minneapolis. No. And I'm like, why why aren't we learning this? And what else didn't we learn? And then then I started getting pissed off. I was like, so what I'm learning in school, my history is filtered. And what else haven't I been taught? And you, so it's just, it's just this interesting. So again, unless we go um, challenge ourselves, get uncomfortable blind spots, like what else don't I know? And it's not the job of my black friends and family members to educate me, but I can listen with curiosity and go, I never knew this crap and I am so sorry. And, you know, just know I stand with you and I don't know what else I can do. You don't need to make me feel better. You don't need to, you know, it's the whole, anyway, it's just been a really interesting awakening. I think for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I've been really heartened to see some baby boomers who I'm close with just like, like, are you kidding me? Like this was, this was part of, life uh it would and i never saw it in the last six seven decades i never saw police brutality or discrimination or uh, you know redlining or you know there's never part of any of that but like you no know, like whoa so i basically benefited from the system that oppressed these people Yeah, i need to look at that um yeah. which is cool i mean this is this is the you know my mom in particular this is the first year where she really got her complicity um i don't think she's changed anything but but she's like yeah, yeah like six decades of supporting white supremacy culture yeah got it i did that yeah uh, but
0: well there can be a lot of shame and grief and stuff that go that yeah, with it too but it, it's it's shameful
1: yeah you, you need to be ashamed of it to yeah. like move through it like it's like oh yeah. god
0: yeah yeah, yeah. So I want to I want to ask you um this. So one I w- one I love that you know you're like oh, I'm just going to lay on the couch forever. Like I think sometimes there's this word that comes to mind surrender and and by the time this airs I will have had uh Brian Ungard on and we had a whole conversation about really letting ourselves surrender versus trying to fight it, right? And sometimes we just have to let give ourselves permission to feel and be and and surrender to what is versus fighting what is. So kudos kudos to that. These are questions that I ask all the guests. And what, what I love about what you're sharing is there are so many different facets, whether it's really giving yourself permission to feel and surrender, whether it's, I'm going to anchor myself on my purpose, whether it's, you know, I see this need out there and I'm going to figure out a way to be part of the solution. I mean, there's so many ways that you are doing incredible work to show up as a leader. And we know that we all get in our own way. And we have these stories that want to help us, uh, be safe, but they keep us very small. So my question for you, Brandon, uh, is what is a self-limiting story that you find yourself telling yourself and when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as leader in your life?
1: Yeah. Well, the one I'm dealing with right now is just like top of mind one. Um, so when, I don't feel connected or valued or seen. I go into like basically addictive behaviors. I start using nicotine again and pour an extra glass of scotch. And uh, and I tell my, you know, I justify it. Cause you know, fairly smart. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's a pandemic, and, you know, you have to do what you can and cut yourself some slack and all that. Um, but it, it really, it just, it repeats or uh, it edifies a, a belief that I am alone. Like that, the only way I can experience joy is by throwing a chew in or, you know, getting a little tipsy or, or something like that. So there's like that. And, and I've noticed it. Cause I, I've, I've noticed when it comes up, like my wife and I will have like a little disagreement and I'm just like, little part of me is like, F her. I'm going to go buy a tin of chew. <laughs> you know? So, so, so for me, like, that's the thing. It's like this, this delusion that I'm alone and that if, the world isn't opening its arms to me and rolling out the red carpet, then I, I, I can treat my body terribly. Um, and you know, do things that are bad for me. Um, that's there. Um, you know, and I, I think there, there's, you know, even though I'm fairly outspoken and outgoing, like there's a part of me that, and this is very much in the blind spot range. So I don't even know what it is that is playing small. Um, so I'm, in the process of uh, getting a new mentor in my men's organization who like sees that I'm bigger than I'm showing up. So there's, there's something over there that I don't, I can't really see it yet, but that's like keeping me tiny. Got it. We'll see.
0: Got it. I love it. Well, I love it. You're seeking out someone right. that, That can do that because we do all have those stories that keep us safe and small. And I'll guarantee you that we usually don't identify what those are without a lot of serious waiting in the messy middle work as we would say and and reflection a lot of times we need that external mirror that external person to help us see it because our brains will fight it
1: oh yeah <laughs>
0: yeah i mean this is bob keegan and lisa Leahy's immunity to change work our brains will fight it because it's out of self-protection and so yeah. unless someone helps us identify it and see it we're gonna get stuck so i love that you're 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 um you're looking at that so kudos to you. So then let me ask you this what is one impactful way that you are showing up as a leader both in your professional life as well as your personal life these days.
1: Great question. The thing that uh again I'm just this is what's showing up right now. I, I can't say like I didn't have it written on my mirror. I will show up powerfully as a leader today but like this- <laughs> coming in my field. Um,
0: you're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh, <laughs> darn it. People like you. I'm kidding, Stuart Smalley. Sorry. <laughs>
1: well, I, believe it or not, I actually do have a little sticker inside my medicine cabinet that says leaders floss. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's oh what I'm like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Leaders do floss. So I, if I'm a leader, I need to floss. <laughs> but, I love um, it. but what's showing up right now is uh, supporting women leaders around imposter syndrome. It's like, so i mean it's just like every single woman i connect with is like this imposter syndrome man it's killing me i'm like well got an app for that you know like you know just from my my purpose guiding work there's we can explore those voices and all that kind of stuff and i just you know i don't know what you call that a leader just you know knowing something that can help someone so i've just been been doing that and i think we probably both agree if we had more women playing bigger games, the world would be a lot better place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, true. Well, and I would say granted women have been disadvantaged, but I will tell you that I coach so many leaders that imposter syndrome is so broad spread. It's not just with women. It's just that women have been, you know, haven't had as many opportunities for as long as men have had and are still, as we know, not not paid at the same level, not can't call themselves doctor, you know, whatever it might be. But <laughs> but one thing you said that I think is really important, and I, I would just say as a, bl- as a blind spot, like this might be part of you. You're like, I don't know if this is a leader. I'm just helping people find their purpose. Like that is absolutely a leader. When we are supporting others in getting out their own way and stepping into their greatness, when we are having a positive impact around us, from my purview, that's leadership. So I would just say, to stop saying that, I don't know if this is leadership or not, that is 1 billion percent leadership. So there, there you go. go. Yeah. So so we're now we're going to shift gears to to the the wrap up. These are the quick question or kind of rapid fire if, if, if you're game. So just kind of the first thing that comes to mind, and we'll have a little fun. They start out a little bit more thoughtful, and then they get, kind of get fun and silly because why not, right? So uh, first question, Brandon, fill in the blank. Living authentically is?
1: Morning ritual. Uh, deep relationships and community.
0: Lovely. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do?
1: I wing it. I, I just, try, I just try, try to do it. See what happens.
0: <laughs> Fake it till you make it or right? just get in action anyway.
1: No, <laughs> let's try it.
0: <laughs> hey, I, I love it. I love it. When's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up?
1: I mean, this, this could be a long story, but I, I won't. Um, so uh, yeah, my house was put on a uh, an Instagram feed for domestic terrorism. who don't like or don't like people who support Black Lives Matter and I obviously could have taken the signs down and the San Diego PD said, take the signs down. Like, no, that's not how that works, man. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just like kind of stood in the stand, in the white ally stand, like, no, I'm not going to take off my window paint and the signs because somebody, you know, yells something at me or takes pictures and puts my address on a site and says the tyrants will be killed and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's scary and all that, but anyways, I, it's a longer story, but yeah, just that'd be a whole
0: other conversation. Holy moly. But, but
1: that's a whole other <laughs> well,
0: but you're, you're, what you're standing for what you believe in and having your voice out there, even though there's legitimate threats coming to you. I mean, I would say that's pretty like, darn, that's yeah. big, that's big courage. That's a like big sea courage. Right. So, wow. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad that you're safe. That's, that's, uh, that's a good thing. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that that it stays that way. What is something people would be surprised to know about you?
1: I've been arrested in six different states. Wow. Many of them in the Midwest, too.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: okay, we're moving on to the... force. Unless you want to say more about it. I don't know. No. I mean, unless you no. want
1: to talk about it, but I mean, no.
0: it's, oh, it's okay uh the the four c's so this is the fun conversation starter get to know people that i like to ask every guest you can use these at uh social functions next time you can be around people so if reality money no object uh the first c is what car would you want to have second c is what country would you want to visit third c is what cuisine would you want to eat it does not have to be related to the country and fourth is what celebrity living or dead would you want to eat that cuisine with?
1: Okay. All right. This, the first one's actually kind of tricky because I I literally have tried to decarb my life. Uh, but I, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I like, grew up with muscle cars and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I think it would be one of those muscle cars that has been like tricked out with like double Tesla engines and goes like zero to sixty in three point eight seconds.
0: Nice,
1: <laughs> like a dark, nice. dark charger that's just like, but totally sustainable. Or
0: yep. yeah, fast and furious, baby, love it. Okay.
1: <laughs> and then was the country? Country. Um, I've been to a handful, but you know, I, I wish I could say, oh, I want to go to this country. I haven't been to, but there's, I want to go to, go back to India to this spiritual festival that happens once every twelve years called the Kumela. And I've I've seen documentaries on it. I'm like, oh. I mean, it, it, in pandemic times, it makes you like because there's like millions of people in this thing. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. But like six
0: feet apart. No, <laughs> six feet apart.
1: But I, I just want to go hang out with all these like gurus and like sadhus and you know and just be amid, among people who are really deeply devoted to God. I think that'd be cool.
0: Nice. And what cuisine? would you want to eat and what celebrity would you want to eat the cuisine with
1: i would like this is you know i'll be judged for saying this by somebody uh i would like to have suckling pig with ernest hemingway in spain in like
0: 1923 that's very specific that's (laughs) awesome (laughs) all right fantastic all right your favorite go-to movie
1: it's kind of hard to like think about anything other than Christmas vacation right now. It's just, I mean,
0: <laughs> it, it is the time character, of year.
1: <laughs> character, I, I, it's I, December
0: 22nd when we're recording <laughs> this. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Your signature dance move.
1: Back in the day, I could do a pretty good Michael Jackson, like, like full routine, you know, with like the moonwalk and the kicks and the spins and all that. No
0: way. Stuff. That's awesome. Oh, do you have any videos? Yeah.
1: Oh, golly, I don't think I do. Although I do have a <laughs> video of me doing a ballet and a tutu from business school.
0: <laughs> oh, hey. Well, <laughs> close enough. Close enough. So, along with that, what's your go to song?
1: Right now, it's uh, Thunder Road by uh, Bruce Springsteen.
0: Nice. The Boss. In another life, your job or career would be?
1: Astronaut? Like, delegate to the intergalactic federation of like (laughs) conscious cosmic cousins (laughs) i something like that
0: all right fantastic (laughs) conscious cosmic cousins that's awesome uh okay what's something you can't live without
1: something i mean
0: well thing broadly (laughs) right
1: oh it'd be my wife i mean yeah (laughs) oh
0: Something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy.
1: My cat. My cat's awesome. He's, he's a bruiser and a lover and, you know, just, he's so awesome.
0: What's your cat's name? Kizzy. Kizzy. All right. Yeah. Awesome. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now?
1: I used to think that these were exciting times in like 2012 and I'm like, Ooh, okay it looks like we're revisiting every single assumption we we hold to be true so i mean it's that it's like i, I got to kind of play some midwifery in hopefully some expansion and human flourishing um because i mean I, i'd be bummed if i like died 10 years ago <laughs> be like oh man i missed that right. so Yeah. Just being alive and being able to hold some space for whatever's coming through us.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you one for just being so real and so authentic of sharing yourself in this, this conversation. It's been such a delight. And two, I want to thank you for really taking your passion and, and the need of, you know, not knowing where unity lab is going to go, but just, I think you're doing such important work to help people build authentic connections and get outside themselves and build diverse communities and heal some of these divides. And so I just thank you for your work. It's totally inspiring for me, um, as well. And it gets me thinking about where am I having missed opportunities in my own life, uh, even though I think I've been intentional, but Hey, am I seeking out that person? Or am I seeking to understand, or am I, am I shutting down because of my, my judgment? So I just so appreciate all that you're bringing to the world and to
1: this conversation. Rosie, thank you for your work Uh, i really enjoyed this conversation too
0: thank you so much for listening to show up as a leader if you haven't yet subscribed you can find us on apple podcasts spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts i'm rosie ward and you can find me online at drrosieward.com where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter check out the books i'm reading and hear from the people i'm talking to you can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at R Ward, Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Rosie Ward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle.